0: Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats.
1: Nancy, welcome to our podcast. Nancy, before we start speaking about what it is that you do for Oceans Without Borders, I'd like to ask a couple of questions about you just to get to know you. I believe that you come from Dar es Salaam, which is a coastal city in Tanzania. Is this where your passion for the marine world was born? And is it something that you've felt since you were young?
0: Um. Yes, it's true that I'm born in Dar es Salaam, which is a coastal city in Tanzania. But unfortunately, no, that is not where my passion in my passion of marine world mm-hmm. was born. And actually, um, I knew about the diverse blue planet quite very very late. And mm-hmm. also, as a child and coming from an African family, um, there were really no uh, those culture cultural visits like to the beach. Like the first time when I was in a swimming pool, actually it was at my university level. And that is simply Mm -hmm. because I was pursuing Bachelor of Aquatic Sciences and Fisheries. And there was a course which is known as swimming and survival in water. So at Mm -hmm. university level, that was the first time that I was entering in a swimming pool. And I remember at that time I couldn't swim. So as we were learning how to swim, I was having a very harsh instructor. And mm-hmm. as I was trying to swim, I remember he told he told me, get off the swimming pool, you're swimming like a duck. And <laughs> I, I made a vow to myself that I will never step into a swimming pool or never step into any water-related issues because I was very discouraged. Mm-hmm. And even that time when I was selected in the course, um, because aquatic sciences uh, covers um, a major major arena of uh, water-related causes from freshwater to marine water, I, I was mm. truly not happy because I was not even seeing the future. And you know, as a young generation, we, we want to finish um, university level and at that time get a job. So me, I was not seeing myself getting a job in that arena because first of all, it was a new cause even for the university. So it's it's like it took it selected some of, of 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 university material to go and study that course so most of us kept it as our last option like myself I kept it as the last option but unfortunately in which right now I won't say the same but unfortunately at that time I was mm-hmm. selected uh to to be there that was under University of Dar salaam so what I can say that was a turning point for me is that um After I finished my bachelor's study, as I was waiting to graduate, there came an opportunity from the IOC UNESCO, that is Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, whereby Mm -hmm. it was supporting young people who are taking water-related courses, specifically who have background in marine, to go on board a Seyagalas, which is a cruise, a South African cruise. It it was bringing together senior and young marine researchers to be on board that cruise and to explore the coast of Durban up to the coast of Tanzania. And Mm. me and some of my friends sat down and put on an application, and luckily we were selected. So to me that was a turning point because after, being on board that Sagala cruise it was my first time to be in contact in contact with other senior marine researchers for me mm. i have never really gotten that exposure and the good thing about being in that cruise is that you see those senior they were specializing in different fields in marine like you could see this one is specializing in coral reefs. This one is specializing um, in fish ecology. This one is specializing in sponges. So to me, first of all, that diversity, it was already enlightening, like, oh, maybe there is more in these waters than what the eyes could see or maybe what I thought there could be. Because most of us, when we think of the ocean, we think about fish and we think about swimming. We don't think beyond mm-hmm. it being a recreation space. So after being in that cruise um, over time, so the cruise and. Enter- collection of data, so we were collecting um, data by using equipment and for me I was seeing for the first time technological equipments which were being sent down deep into the ocean with the cameras and we were able to watch um, the species which were down the ocean and I was affiliated with a group of benthic, of benthic biodiversity experts and at that time I think it was my very, very first time I was getting into 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 the arena of benthic biodiversity and how blessed our indian ocean is so to me it sparked something inside me like how come for tanzania there is really i've never really seen like a person coming up and speaking about how blessed we are with our oceans and the facts that you learn that What you see in our ocean, it's only 5%. We have only explored 5% and there is 95% which is left and To me, that posed a challenge to me, like, what am I doing? What am Mm. I doing as an individual to make sure that in years to come, The youngsters like myself are not feeling lost and feeling like um, that ecosystem is just about fish and swimming, but it's an ecosystem that truly needs experts. It needs young people also to champion, to be in the forefront, to make sure that things which are undiscovered we are also in the forefront of making sure that we make those discoveries in the future. So I think that cruise was a turning point. From there, I have ded- dedicated my time, especially um, with this era of social media, to make sure that I educate, I educate um, the outside community of things which um, they have not been revealed mm. about the ocean. So I think that's where my my passion my, my, my passion came from. So my passion came from a point of 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 challenging myself, like, why, why is this knowledge not out there? Why are there no young people desiring to become marine scientists? Is it really out of, of knowing or is it out of ignorance? So to me, Mm -hmm. I came to realize that it's out of ignorance. There is an, there is a gap that was not out there. And I gave myself a responsibility that I should take action so as others may follow. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a really incredible story. You know, I talked to so many people and I ask them, you know, what made you passionate about this topic or that topic? And they're always like, whoa, I've always had this interest. But I think it's really, really fascinating that there's this topic that, you know, maybe didn't necessarily interest you so much, or you weren't that keen on in the beginning, yeah. but it's become a passion over, over time and over actually questioning it and you know trying trying to come to grips and understand it and i think it's 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 a wonderful story because it really shows that you've struggled for an understanding of what it is true. that you're doing and why
0: very true very true yeah yeah
1: very true okay. okay so you've spoken a little bit you mentioned that you're that you studied marine science sciences and, and benthic ecology um yes. for those people who aren't familiar with those terms could you just explain a little bit about benthic ecology and um and what that is
0: Okay yeah so <laughs> Um, I'm I'm happy for this question because um always when people hear marine science some um, people get their own definition like okay marine science so when they mm-hmm. translate they think you are a person who only studies about fish so mm-hmm. yes to to elaborate um first of all I have masters in marine sciences from Institute mm-hmm. of Marine Science which is under University of Dar es Salaam and um just yes, to explain marine science as marine science, marine science, first of all, is a, is a very broad term. And when you speak of marine science, it encompasses uh, different branches. There is physical, chemical, biological, geological, benthic, and also even the social aspects. And I'm going to explain each and, and, and everyone. Mm-hmm. So also mari- when you speak of marine sciences and oceanography, um, it's basically the same. It's the study about our ocean. But inside the ocean, there are different components. So like when we start with the physical oceanography, that is the study of our ocean, but you study the aspects of the physical properties, such as winds, such as tides, such as waves, but um, there is also another property known as chemical oceanography. It's also a study of our ocean, but you study in the chemical pro- in the chemical side of our ocean. So mm-hmm. it can be um, how the how carbon dioxide is contributing into increase or decreasing of pH and things like those. And then we have the biological oceanography, which study is a study about the biological part of our ocean, and that is can be tiny organisms to large uh, mammals, such as from the Phytoplankton, which you can see by eyes, to large mammals mm-hmm. such as dolphins and whales, mm-hmm. and um, then it can come to another branch to geological oceanography, whereby you can study about the surface, the surface, how the, how, how the surface of the ocean floor is, and then within that, we also have the benthic. Now, um, I like to call it benthic bi- bi- biodiversity for it. Benthic mm-hmm. um, it entails a study, um, a very diverse study about the organisms, marine organisms for this case, in who are, who are belonging in the ocean floor and how they interact with the environment. Mm-hmm. So when you speak about the ocean floor and the organisms which are the marine organisms which are associated with it, you are speaking of benthic ecology, or benthic biodiversity. So ecology um, is basically the interactions between the organisms and how they interact with the environment. So if I can give an example, for instance, mm-hmm. um, of a benthic uh, of a benthic species, coral reef itself is a benthic species because it is attached in the ocean floor. Okay? When you okay. speak about the yeah. kelp, yes, when you speak about the kelp forests and um, even those crabs who are passing in, in the ocean floor, all of those, um, they entail... They entail benthic, benthic ecology. So basically, uh, those organisms which are in association with the ocean floor and how they are interacting with their environment. And for my case, why I choose, I'm still a benthic ecologist in progress because Mm -hmm. in our oceans, always I I love to say in our oceans, you can really never reach the point and say that I have now specialized because our oceans Mm -hmm. are very big and yet there are still discoveries that are yet to be made. So the reason why for my case, I choose to identify as a benthic ecologist because before I... I came into masters in marine sciences um, I first dealt with freshwater and I was dealing with benthic um, organisms in freshwater and specifically in rivers so um I really wanted that connection to continue because um, I did that for my bachelor, whereby I studied the benthic biodiversity in River Morogoro. It's somewhere in Tanzania. I was mm-hmm. using those organisms to determine the water quality of the river. Yes. So I was vaccinated because the first time I went to the river with my kick nets, um, I remember my supervisor, Dr. Lulu Kaya, she told me that when you go with this um with, with this uh with this kicknet, when you keep it in the in the sea, in the in the in the bed of the river and you kick the organisms mm-hmm. which are going to come out and you, and those ones are the ones which you are going to use to determine the health of the river. At first I didn't believe. So when I went with the kicknet for the first time and kept it in the bed of the river and I kicked, and these organisms came in the net, I was so much vaccinated. I was like, oh my God, this is so nice. And, and that mm-hmm. was my first steps when I was venturing into science. So after my bachelor and after I was exposed into the side of marine, I wanted to continue in that realm. I wanted to continue mm-hmm. in that realm to continue studying this um this benthic species who are in associated with the ocean floor. But in the ocean floor now, you get much more of diverse species. And the good thing about the benthic part is that when we speak about our ocean being unexplored, actually the most diverse part which is untouched is the benthic part. So there are organisms which are lying in our ocean floor which are yet to be tapped. And that is something Mm -hmm. which makes me very excited because it gives me a hope that in the future, maybe I could discover something new. Mm-hmm. Yes, so yes, so that's what benthic ecology entails. So, yeah. um, marine organisms in relation to the ocean floor and how they interact with the environment. And um, as I even think of my future in pursuing PhD, I want to, to to remain in that arena because of the future and possibilities of discoveries, and so much, of, so much, so much of which are still unknown.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is absolutely fascinating. I mean, there's so much, particularly of the deeper ocean that actually hasn't yes. been explored. And True. when you think about, you know, the, the surface world and how there's probably no place on the on the face of the earth, on land, that actually hasn't mm-hmm. been explored or visited or seen by people, and then you compare it to the ocean and the relatively small percentage of it that's known, it's really, really fascinating.
0: Very fascinating indeed.
1: Mm-hmm. So, um, and just in terms of what you're doing yourself, obviously marine sciences and and that refers to both freshwater and and salt water. Um mm-hmm. have you made the decision to to specialize on the salt water side or are you still are there still projects that you're carrying out um and looking at freshwater um organisms as well?
0: Uh, no for now i've made up my mind it's mm. only I'm dealing with only the ocean because I, okay. I feel it's a it's a side that's a side that really needs a deeper understanding mm. yes, and mm. when I look at um the people who are in the forefront um people People are there in academia, but you know, those who identify themselves as a science communicators, myself, who can go out there and actually speak to young people who are the next generation of the ocean stewards. um, mm. I feel like there is still that gap and I, I want to contribute in raising more of that generation who are going to mm. be, um, stewards of our oceans. So, um, I'm committed fully to, to our oceans.
1: Mm, absolutely. Yes. Now, you've spoken a little bit about the sort of the tough experiences that you had when you first started, um, you know, getting in getting in the pool, swimming, um, you know, that, that whole bad experience um, that almost put you off it in the first place. But, you know, anybody who looks at, at your social media or anything can see it's obvious that you now have this incredible love for diving. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about how you came to actually start diving um, and, you know, maybe how you feel that this has contributed towards your work and opened up new um, new areas of focus for you?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, for, for my case, um, I remember... As I was finishing up my master's, as I was finishing up my master's in marine sciences, my, my passion was growing bigger and bigger. And I was also passing through uh, social media and I would see people diving. And I said that, OK, I'm a marine scientist, but I've never really experienced life below water. And that's something which was really, it was actually paining me. So mm-hmm. I remember taking my diary and I wrote that um before this year end and that is I think it was 2020 yes before this year mm-hmm. ends I would like to experience how it feels like to to be to to be under under under, under there so mm-hmm. for me that would have made me feel like a complete marine scientist. So I started saving because, you know, in the diving industry, especially for, for, for people who come from a background like mine, right, um, mm-hmm. African family and um, middle income, um, diving is quite costly when it comes yes. to, um, in yeah. terms of finances. Yeah, supporting yeah. oneself, it, it becomes very hard. And even when you talk to your parents and say maybe they should support you to go diving, they'll be like, what? I can't support you. You want to go and dive there? No. <laughs> because they're also not exposed in that environment, so they think it's so yes. much dangerous. So I was saving, but unfortunately I was not reaching my goal. But um, before working with Oceans Without Borders, um, I've also, I, I'm I also one of the co-founders of the youth-led marine organization known as Aquafarms. So mm-hmm. from there... Um, I remember one of an organisation approached us that they invited us to give a talk on the ocean decade because we are currently in the ocean decade of science, whereby we are we want to join forces collaboratively to make sure that our oceans are in the better place. So there are some outcomes in which they wanted me actually they it was specifically for for me they invited me specifically to share in a in a webinar in which I gladly say yes. So in that webinar, as as I was share, I was as I was sharing what we are aiming, the type of the oceans we are aiming at by twenty thirty. Fortunately, um, there was a potential person who was supporting some of the dive la- dive labs for for Africans. Mm-hmm. So I remember after I presented. Uh, the the gentleman asked me Nancy you have presented with so much passion but my question is can you have you ever been underwater and can you swim yo mm. i felt like he was there to embarrass me so i was asking <laughs> myself should i tell this person the truth or should i hide But Mm -hmm. I I said, it's it's not only my problem, because when you look to Mm -hmm. most of, um, I'll speak for my context, Tanzania alone, when you look for most of the Tanzanian marine scientists, and um, we are not so many, but most of us, most of us, Keshia, unfortunately, we have Mm -hmm. no luxury. There is really no that luxury of people who have experienced life below water. And Mm -hmm. even people who can swim, you know, it's like the water, we, we live near the waters, but accessibility, accessibility, the culture of going Mm. to swim, it remains to to, to really few people, to really few people. So um, Mm -hmm. I spoke, as I explained to him, I explained generally that for him to see that this problem does not only lie to me, but it's a bigger one. I explain in a bigger context and I yes. think somehow he was moved. So the next day he approached me and he said that there is a lab that they are preparing, um, in April, it was yeah in April last year. And, um, mm-hmm. they would like me to take part, but it's not finalized. So they will confirm with me. And, um, after a week, um, he called me, we did an interview and there it was, the next thing I know that my dream was coming true. So I was enrolled in a live known as the dive master, DK dive master storytelling lab, which Mm -hmm. encompasses of training 10 African women up to dive master level qualifications so as they can become better storytellers and better scientists who can be able to conduct um, researches underwater. Mm. So to to me, that was really a turning point because, you know, at first it was a wish and here it was, now it's coming Mm. true. Because I was failing in saving, I was failing when it comes to support. There really no... Obviously, I can say this confidently that, for instance, like for my country, there really no those supports who who are supporting um, us as marine scientists to 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 be able to sharpen up our skills of 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 underwater, of underwater mm-hmm. to continue um conducting these researches. That's why most of our researchers you find that they are limited to coastal areas so that's why people will only study mangroves and even someone will tell you that they study seagrasses then they they study up where the shore ends but no one dares yes. to go deeper because those skills are not there so for 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 me i was having a desire i didn't want to be a mediocre because at first, um, when you want to make a change, first of all, you should be in the forefront Mm -hmm. of change so as others can follow. So to me, that lab was making my dream come true because on my own, I could have never make it. I know that I could have never really make it on my own. So three months, I think the lab took place in South Africa um, from April um, last year up to July. It was really tough. I shouldn't lie, it was really tough because for a person Mm -hmm. like me, who was not so much comfortable in water and, mm. um, to, to, to be able to reach up to the master le- level yes. in only in a matter of three months. Um, it mm. wasn't easy. Yeah, it wasn't easy. I think mm. it's one of the things which I, I will never forget, but, um, yeah, all of imagine. us, you know, we were 10 of us. Yes. We were 10 of us. Mm. We pushed and luckily enough, we, we were able to get the credentials and, um, as I came back, I came back now. Now I was already having about 70 plus dives, right? So as wow. I came back home, I, I, told, I told myself, yo, until this year ends, I don't want to be near waters. That lab was marathonic, very much marathonic. Mm-hmm. But the next thing I know, just one week as I come home, then there is this job, um, job interview. I mean, the, mm-hmm. a call for job for OWB project officer. And um, at that time, you know, my other dream was to to be internationally exposed. And as I was reading mm. Ocean Without Borders, I saw that it was operating in three strategic areas, that there's Nemba in Tanzania, there is Vamiz in Mozambique. It goes up to down in Isimangaliso in South Africa. Yes. And for me, I really wanted to, to, to get to be in a worksp- workspace whereby I can get to mm. work with diverse type of people. Mm-hmm. So I applied yeah, I applied and the next thing I know I'm called for an interview in August. So uh, I'm only back in July from the Dive Master Lab. Mm-hmm. In August I did the interview and after two weeks I'm called up in an island to to be given an orientation and to officially start. Oh, wow. So <laughs> for me I I was connecting the dots because um Kesha, when we come to one of the requirements of this job is that mm-hmm. they wanted someone who could dive, all right? Yes. And yeah. and um they were looking at employing a person locally. And mm-hmm. um there were four of us who were shortlisted. So I think mm-hmm. it was me, I, I don't remember the other ones, but I think probably three girls and one man. And yes and if i if i flash back if it wasn't for this diving skill i could not mm-hmm. be having this job because this mm-hmm. job 60% it requires you to dive and to go to look at the health of the corals and to conduct mm-hmm. coral surveys and the restoration so sometimes when i sit i'm so happy that i've gotten this job but sometimes i usually sit and wonder like um How much competition could there be if most of the Tanzanian marine scientists could be having a skill of knowing how to dive? So sometimes Mm -hmm. I I feel like I'm privileged, but I feel like I should not stay with this privilege on my own. That's why I've become an advocate of of being able to accelerate, of wanting to accelerate change, especially to the donor agencies and people who are supporting young people to make sure Mm -hmm. that they see the importance of this, of the diving skill, especially at this era. We are in an era whereby we want to explore oceans further. That means that our skills also have to be strengthened. We can't do Mm. things which we used to be as before. Because for my case, I always think like, um, if it wasn't for the dive master lab and me acquiring the dive master skill, then I could not be having this job because this job Mm. requires a person who can dive. But again, I think... How many Tanzanians, marine scientists, who who have an ability to dive? So that means that Mm -hmm. if the case remains this way, it means that um, the the, the marine scientists in Tanzania will be having inability, especially young people, I'm speaking for the young people, not the old generation. That means that there'll be an opportunities, international opportunities, which they'll be missing just because this skill is lacking. So yes. I find like this skill is very important and for me I think it has opened doors and I think it's not over. It's going to continue to open more doors for me, but I don't mm. want um I don't want to enjoy these privileges myself. So mm. that's why when I say that I'm in the marine space to stay, it's because I want to see marine space becomes equal. And um, more marine scientists from Tanzania know how to dive, and they can also mm. be able to curb international opportunities like, uh, like I, like I think the one that I'm privileged to be right now.
1: Absolutely, and it's really going to take a little bit of time to sort of not only yeah. to provide those opportunities, but also to change the mindset around around diving, isn't it?
0: Too, very much to very much mm-hmm. too, to change the mindset around diving very much yeah.
1: too. well I think you're doing a, a wonderful job of of yeah, showcasing diving and and what it can add to your career yeah thank you now Nancy I'd like to talk a little bit about this position that you do currently have um project officer for yeah. oceans without borders um yeah. based at and beyond member island Can you give us just a rough idea of what exactly this position involves and what it is that you do on a daily basis?
0: Uh, Okay. So first of all, this position is the, I can say they have never had this position before. Mm-hmm. So it's quite, it's quite very new. So um, I'm sitting in a place which is very new and um, how it looks like in a daily basis, it requires quite of multitasking. And um, 60% of my work is to push forward the success of coral restoration projects with the team of CNC rangers who are, because the coral restoration project is the most recent project here in the island, but mm-hmm. also, um, one of the major things which I do in this position is to be able to make sure that our database for the monitoring project stay intact. So apart from the coral restoration projects, um, Ocean Without Borders also conducts researches regarding beach, beach, beach erosions. So we conduct beach erosion surveys after every two weeks. So before I came, these ones, they were only conducted in the in Vamizi and Benguera. Vamizi and Benguera, those are other strategic um, points of Ocean Without Borders. At Nemba, it was not yet established. So mm-hmm. I remember one of my very, very first tasks was to establish the points around the island. And the for the beach erosion, we measure, I mean, it gives us insights of how much our beach is eroding. Because yes. even when you come here at Nemba, there is a room there is a room number 12 in the in the in the northern side in which at the, at first it used to be much seaward but right now it is coming is being brought much more up and that is because much water is, is is flooding you you can tell that there is intrusion of salt water that is coming up and that mm-hmm. is due to the climate change and it's eroding our beaches so for us um keeping taking that, that data after every 2 weeks it becomes very crucial when it comes to informing decision making because we work very closely with the, with, with the government so mm-hmm. as we can we can have informed management um um strategies and also mm-hmm. apart from that um as as everyone knows i think it's very famous that NEMBA, it's, it contains one of the longest database for the citato, for the citato nesting. And um, Ocean Without Borders, now with my position, I'm also responsible to make sure that that database continues going and that it becomes consistently, um, the data is collected consistently and there is no data that is lost. And that is um, for the sake of making sure that um, the conservation efforts Are being kept in place, especially when it comes to informing the the government. But also, apart from that, we conduct coral reef surveys after every three months, and that is to monitor the health of our reefs. When you come here, uh, I've just been here recently, but when you speak to guests, you come to know that um, before and after, before, the reefs used to be very healthy compared to now, so we are collecting the data over time just to to make sure that how da, how, how do the reefs looks like um mm-hmm. over a long period of time yes we know already that they're deteriorating but um with no data no right to speak in order to be able to accelerate change especially for the dec- to the decision making bodies we need data so as they may be able to know yeah. what is really happening but also mm-hmm. um I'm also championing data uh, which is done collaboratively here in the island known as Takataka. Takataka is, um, in English, is waste. So every mm-hmm. evening, um, one, one, one of the staff takes a basket and goes around the island and collect all type of waste that is being found. And mm-hmm. in the morning meetings, we measure and we record that data. So since 2018, we have the data of how much waste is being collected around the island. Mm. So that is also kept in place, which keeps us informed of where are we, where we are going and what to do in terms of of, of, of making decisions. But apart mm. from that, also, we are managing data of um, house reef monitoring. So um, as you know, NEMBA is one of the best dive sites, yeah? So yes. we have yeah, we have some boats which are coming. Although we have uh, very harsh restrictions of 200 meters, so they stay 200 meters away from the island. But those boats, um, when they come, they they put a lot of pressure on our reefs. Mm-hmm. So we collect the data of how many boats do we get, and they come to dock um, near the neighbor Island per day, and we present those data um, to 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 the government. So as we can initiate some policies that can be environmental friendly to, 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 to our corals. So basically, my day-to-day um, activities around data management, making sure that I follow up and that the data is consistent, but also... Um, our, to take care of our new baby which is the coral restoration project mm-hmm. but also in addition to that is to just to delight guests with marine conservation works that we do because at NEMBA we get guests that are very high profiled and yes. yes, yes, so talking to them about the marine conservation works that we do, taking them to go and see the coral nursery, explaining to them um, why we are collecting the data we collect is also, one, is also part of my work And that Mm -hmm. also accelerates that when the guests leave here, they they go with that perception of why marine conservation is important and they can go to tell their friends and their friends will want to come and visit NEMBA. But also they will have that environmental conscious mind of why they should continue championing for sustainable oceans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's roughly what I do here at NEMBA.
1: That's a great deal of different and and very very sort of contrasting tasks to to manage It must yeah. be quite <laughs> quite an effort to keep it all together
0: yes that's that's true
1: yeah so um while you were speaking about NEMBA, you mentioned the the c n c team or the community and conservation team yes. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about um, who this team is, um, how and why it was formed, and who are the people who are part of it?
0: Okay, so the Community and Conservation Rangers team here at NEMBA comprises of three very passionate young boys, Mm -hmm. and all of them are from Matemwe, Matemu mm-hmm. is just here around mem- NEMBA. Around so they're from Matemu. So for, for me also, when I came and took this position, for them, they had already started to work, but they were working in their communities because apart from apart from working here at NEMBA, they also have a duty to work and educate their communities about marine conservation and why they should care about the ocean. So... Um, they're very passionate to serve um, the community and one I think one of the one of the points of selecting the CNC Rangers um it was that they should be from their community. And one of the CNC Ranger actually is a beneficiary from one of the Africa Foundation programs and that is Clef. So mm-hmm. he was supported with the tertiary, with the tertiary bursary project to visit, to finish his university study. And he is now back, um, serving his community as a CNC oh, rangers. So yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually found them. I actually found them already working and mm-hmm. it was really attractive, you know, for me, like working with people of my caliber, you know, mm-hmm. people like they're from the, the same environment. And now, they are dedicating their time and their passion to make sure that they are also saving their community, something which is really, really attractive.
1: Mm, wonderful. And all of the, 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 the CNC team that you work with, they've also been taught how to dive, haven't they?
0: Yes, yes. Actually, um, because I came later, I came later. Mm-hmm. So for them also, they were, they were trained up to open water. They, they did the open water. And after doing their open water, um, they were then trained on how to to, to become coral farmers. Mm-hmm. So they attended a one-month training at Yambiani. So in Yambiani also, they have, they, they have a coral farm there. Yambiani resides in the east coast of Zanzibar. And there is yes. an organization known as Marine Culture, in which we are collaborating together in setting up the the coral farm here and they come also, they do regularly visit to come and see how we are doing. So that's where the CNC ranger went and get their training for one month. So everything they know now, they started from the scratch. They were also, they, they was although for them, they were from a coast of Zanzibar. And, um, you know, Zanzibar is surrounded by water everywhere. So you really can't yes. avoid. So they were not so new to water, but they have never really learned how to dive. So they... First, they were given it they were trained first of all and they attained their open water credentials and after that um, they received a one month training on on coral farming and now they are back here to to save to save their community of member in Matiamu at large um,
1: and yeah. i believe that the the coral reef restoration project was actually one of that the CNC team had quite a bit of input into choosing to work on that project. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um, Can you tell us what is the aim of the the coral restoration project Um, and why was it chosen?
0: So for the coral restoration projects, um, the, the idea came after seeing how the 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 Namba reefs are being degraded. Mm -hmm. And that is due to, when you look before and after, even when the guests come to dive, they will tell you that, um, especially the Namba house reef, how it was Mm -hmm. before and how it is now, it is not the same. There are some changes which are occurring and they are not changes for the better. It's just changing for the worse. So that also brought an attention um, to to the Namba community like what can we do to bring back and restore back life to the member mm-hmm. house Reef, which is which is deteriorating so when it comes to the question of why so what really raised um, what really raised the concern is the deg- degradation of the member house reef and um, the, so now the aim um, of putting the the coral restoration project is to be able to restore it and to give back to give back life to it. So, so far, um, we have started to, to plant in October and we have 10 tables, but um, by the end of, of this month, we are going to add 10 more. The aim is to reach to have 40 tables underwater and and also after having the, the the forty tables um to continue um planting and planting and planting but at the end at the end means goal the bigger goals is that after it reaches the outplanting phase those um coral fragments can be restored to the degraded sites of the neighbor house reef
1: that's amazing um, you've mentioned a couple of times the degradation of the reefs um, around member. Yes. Um, yes. Can you talk about some of the factors that affect those reefs um, and about how and why they have become
0: damaged? Oh sure. So there are multiple factors of which have damaged the reefs, and these factors entails natural and also human causes. So for mm-hmm. instance, like right now, when I speak, of, when we speak of natural, as we know, we are in the verge of climate change, and that is something mm-hmm. which can no longer be denied. And um, for the climate change, which is happening, it's also causing changing in water temperature. And when there is change in water temperature, it also causes what is known as coral bleaching, because mm-hmm. there is an optimum temperature that coral can survive. And once the temperature goes above that, it causes bleaching. So um climate change, um when it comes to the natural factor is the major one, uh, which causes change in water temperature, but also ocean acidification, um, decrease in the in the pH, but also pollution. Those are natural, uh, which are happening yet in Namba. That's why i that's why every time we clean the beach we go with uh we go with the basket to collect uh to collect waste which are being mm-hmm being drained here and not necessarily not like the island are polluters. Some of the waste are being carried from the western part, from the northern yes. part and are just being brought here at Nemba. And mm-hmm. as you know as the time goes by, um the population also increases. And mm-hmm. statistics shows that our population is also going to double by twenty fifty. So that's also are the factors one of the factors which also contributes of the amount of waste which are also being deposited, which are also affecting our corals. But also when you come to the most visible factors, for instance, like when you come here to Nemba, I previously I spoke about the boats being be, having very many boats which are putting pressure to our coral reefs. Mm-hmm. But when you compare before and after, currently there is an increase of number of boats. Like you can find over 100 boats per day. They're just there at near the member house roof, right? Putting a lot of mm-hmm. pressure in our in our core reef. And of course increase of increase of number of, of boats also is being accelerated because also there is a development in the tourism sector, which means that there are people who are entering in this sector, which is also causing the boats to increase, right? But apart yes. from that, um we have destructive anchors. So for instance, like can find when people come with their boats and they want to book their boats. They are not being conscious of where to put their anchors. Someone just throws mm-hmm. an anchor down, and when you throw an anchor down, you find like there is a beautiful coral, and mm. they, they, it just goes and distracts the physical appearance of the whole coral. That yes. is something which is which is which is quite quite common here, and also um, what can I say? Um yes. So I think those did climate change as in natural increased number of boats, destructive anchors, tourism development, some sort of illegal fishing in, in the other side of Matemwe and the increase in population. Increase in population which keeps a lot of pressure in the scramble of our resources. So those are one those are the major factors which are which are causing the damage to, to happen to, to, to our reefs compared to compared to before and that's what really calls for for restoration because also according Mm. to statistics it says that globally we have already lost about 30 to 50 percent of our coral reefs and if we are not careful our tropical reefs could face extinction by the end of the century. So that really calls for a wake up call that um initiations needs to be done so as we make sure that we save our coral reefs because we really can't sit and just wait for these things to mm. to reduce because climate change will continue to happen, people will continue to people will continue to double which means that increase of boats will continue to come, destructive mm. anchors will continue to be there and for instance, like a place of Zanzibar tourism is like one of the major source of income to most of the people who are living here, so you, you really can't continue that people are going to stop so it's um it's, it's upon us to continue giving awareness and education but also to to do action action mm. on the ground to make sure that people can see people can learn and we can get a lot of people to join us in making sure that our coral reefs are sustainable mm,
1: absolutely and could you speak a little bit in general about the importance of corals and why it is so crucial to actually protect them and to to nourish them and to to make sure that they're restored and and grow again on the reefs.
0: Yeah, sure. So g- generally, um, w- when I speak of importance, when I speak of importance, generally when it comes to marine life, I usually like to to structure importance in a way that it touches people's lives. Because you know, as scientists, usually when we are asked about importance, we we, we we like to structure importance when it comes to ec- ecology or what it means to marine life. Sometimes people don't care about that, although we want them to care. So, for me in this um, in this podcast, what I would want everyone to know is that first of all, we should know that coral reefs harbors twenty five percent of all marine life, and apart from that, um, over four thousand species fish species are found in the coral reefs. And there is a very, very, very um, unique connection. There is a very great connection between the coral reefs and our lives. It mm. totally um, connects to our lives. For instance, globally, we have over 3 billion people who are depending on the marine resources for, for food, for income, for tourism, for coastal protection. And all those, it is thanks for our coral reefs because, Once our core reefs are distracted, once they're not restored, that means that even the fish which we are, the luxury of fish which we are enjoying to eat right now, it will Mm -hmm. also be lost. But not only in terms of food, let's think also in terms of employment. Over 3 billion people globally are employed, but when we come to Tanzania, it's over 2,100 people are depending on the ocean. They're fishers, they're depending on the ocean for food and for income. Mm and to sustain their lives. And when we think about the, the income and the employment, we can't exclude the health of the coral reefs because the more corals are healthy, the more it's going to generate, um, the more it's going to, to, to provide us um, with the ecosystem services that we need. But also um, the dependency of the fishermen for their livelihoods. Depends much on corals, and sometimes mm. you might be in the mainland and think that the coral reefs are not concerning me. It only concerns the fishermen. But when we think in the whole of the value chain of either fishing or the marine life, we are highly involved. For instance, there are some countries which are highly dependent on the tourism sector um, to in in their in their economic progress, and that country. Like, for instance, when we think of Zanzibar alone, most of the tourists, one of the reasons they come is because they want to see the beautiful coral reefs. you see, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. when they' are destroyed it's also it's also distracting the tourism sector because now the guests which are coming and which are bringing um, some of the people, the source of income or contributing to the country's GDP, now they are seeing the destruction which is, which, is which, which which is being done. It means that they can make a decision of not coming anymore. So the major importance of coral reefs, I could say that it's totally connected to our lives, totally connected to our lives, totally connected also to the country growth and mm-hmm. also for the cost of protection. You know, we we live in terms of climate change. We have storms, typhoons, we have big waves. Coral reefs, um, they, they aid in making sure that they break the waves and at least now we can say that we, we, we are being safe. And Mm -hmm. I think all this should be taken into... Into account, all this should be taken into account: the economic aspects, the ecological aspects, the social aspects, in which all of them are being contributed by coral reefs in making our lives better. And as oceans without borders, our vision is to leave our oceans a better place. And leaving our oceans a better place, it has highly connection with how we people we are connecting with the ocean. And the coral reefs itself is the most diverse is the most diverse resource that we have in our blue planet. Mm. So um, for me I can I can use this opportunity also to 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 um to to call for action for anyone mm. who is listening to this that it's upon me, it's upon you also to seek for right information. And as we seek for right information, we should be able to to seek for for for, for right connections. How are our oceans connecting directly to to my life because sometimes Mm. we feel like the ocean is being excluded. It only belongs to the coastal people or it's only a responsibility of my marine scientists. But actually, when we also commit to learn, there is a lot of information online. We come to know that it's totally in connection with our daily to daily lives. It's totally mm-hmm. in connections with each other's, how we care for one another. So if I'm in mainland in Tanzania and I care for our ocean, it means that it's also going to benefit for a father or a mother in Zanzibar who depends 100% um, in our ocean for his mm-hmm. or her daily to daily activities.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Can we talk a little bit about the actual process of of rehabilitating and growing the coral? So I know that you begin with broken pieces of coral, but, you know, what happens and how does the process work? And, you know, do you work on different types of coral? Um, Is the process the same for for all of those different types? Um, Can you just talk a little bit about how it actually works, um, you know, practically?
0: Okay, so um, I I will take you through all the four phases. Um, Mm -hmm. so for instance, for the for the coral restoration project, the very first um, the very first stage is a coral nursery preparation because, as nursery nursery itself stands for, you know, nursery is where babies are nurtured, babies Mm -hmm. are grown. So and before bringing a baby in, first of all, you need to make the environment conducive before. The needs. baby can come in and being nurtured. So the very first stage is a coronary preparations in which in this it entails of farm preparations, it entel, it entails of preparing tables because we keep tables under water and it entails of um preparation of discs. So we usually use cement. Um there is a an Instagram the the NBON's member I think Instagram page just posted a video of what we do underwater. Mm-hmm. So I would also request if people would go and see they could see um that there is um discs which we usually make and those disks are for the attachment of the coral babies. So we mm-hmm. first prepare the disc, we prepare the tables, we mark our area. When, when you come here you see that our area is marked with boys. To, to, mm-hmm. just to, to make sure that uh, people know that this area is restricted and there is a project yes. going on. Yes, so after that, um we take our tables underneath. Like right now, I've said that we have 10 tables, but before taking our tables under, underwater, there are some preparations which we make. Like each table, we keep eight segments. So in each mm-hmm. table, there are eight segments in which um different type of corals are being planted in there. So in each segment, we keep 21 21 pieces of corals are being planted. So in one table when you take 21 times 7, so approximately approximately 147 coral fragments are being planted. In one table. So we take them when we take them down into the ocean and we make sure that now our farm is ready, there comes a second stage and that is to go to look for the coral of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So in looking for the core of opportunity for here we identify those sites that have loose corals because sometimes people think that um, when you do coral restoration it means that you are destroying the corals around but no. What we go is that we go to look for coral of opportunities. Coral of opportunities are those corals which are loosely bound, those mm-hmm. corals which are healthy but they are not so much attached to the parent corals. So we okay. go and we yes and and we talk. We take those pieces of the of the loose corals, and after taking those pieces of the loose corals, we go back to the farm, and those ones which are big, we reduce them into different fragments. So and also as we go to collect, we collect different species because it's mm. very important to have genetic diversity just yes. in case of, of the climate um, stress, mm-hmm. um, they can be able to survive better. So. Mm-hmm. we collect divers of, of of species and we go back to the farms we have our hammers and other things and then we break them into small fragments and we start to to plant so mm-hmm. that is the third step third stage that is planting and planting and cleaning that is a progressive stage now we we start Mm -hmm. to plant and as we plant in each segment we make sure that we keep different species as i said our table has eight segments so if in segment one we keep this species, in segment two we keep another species and Mm -hmm. we alternate like that so um someone might wonder why are you cutting those corals in small pieces and how do they grow back so um the corals uh, entails something which is known as asexual reproduction, in which yes. when you cut it, it has an asexual way of reproducing known as fragmentation, mm. in which a new colony develops from 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 a, a, a colony which is cut. So mm-hmm. it it continues to perpetuate life. So at mm-hmm. the end of the day, maybe when you come to look at the end of three to six months, you see that the part, the, the part of the coral which you cut and now it's in the nursery to grow, you see that it has outgrown itself because mm-hmm. it continues to perpetuate life through asexual mm-hmm. sexual reproduction. So after planting um as a, as the way the child is born we continue to care for the farms now to the for the farms. so we continue going daily for cleaning and why do we do that is because when the coral are left for a very long time we have this algae algae they they come mm-hmm. to to settle in the coral in which sometimes it is not really um it is not really a good sign because once they mm. overgrow, they limit light to penetrate, and the coral stops to grow. In order for okay. coral to continue growing, it needs light penetration. Mm-hmm. An amount of light needs to be able to to to, to reach it. So we mm-hmm. go with our brushes daily, and we clean up. We clean up. We clean up to make sure that that algae is removed. But also, we look for any signs um, of there's some also some organisms which are infectious. Like mm-hmm. drupella, there, there is, uh, yes, there, there's an organism known as drupella, which is, which is, which is can be deadly to coral, and also some cr- crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. Those are natural, natural predators. So all of those, we remove them to make sure that our coral remains healthy so, so that is something which we continue to do daily looking for color of opportunities and planting looking for color of opportunities and planting and cleaning and um, at the end of the day at the end of three to six months um, now we start to to look for our Corals that have shown a sign that uh, they are ready to be transplanted. How do you know that they're ready to be transplanted? You will see that there is an outgrow and um, it has really attached well in the disc and that Mm -hmm. they are strong enough and they look healthy and blossoms. So there you know that it's ready to, to transplant. So when you look at our farm currently, because the first corals we have planted in October so there are some which have already shown signs that they can they can be transplanted but we have not yet mm-hmm. transplanted any because there are some logistical issues that um, needs to be kept in place before we can finally decide because in coral outplanting which is the fourth stage and the last which means that now we are taking our corals to to go and restore the damaged sites of the of the mm-hmm. house reef so it, uh, that stage requires to identify the sites which are damaged and where we are going to keep the corals, but it needs some equipment such as drill, which we cannot mm-hmm. also uh, outsource locally, but we're in the verge of um, of making those um, processes to make sure that we are getting a drill. And once mm-hmm. it's here, um, I think we are going now to arrange for our first outplanting session and... We just hope that um, we can arrange it so nicely in a way that even the outside world, although they cannot be here, they can see how that process Mm -hmm. is being done of taking the coral out of the nursery. Now it has matured and go to make a difference in the damaged sites areas. Yeah. So that's basically what's happening here.
1: Wonderful. It really is a labor of love. It's, you know, you're working on it every (laughs) single day. Yeah. True. And um, then once the coral has been planted out, you know, will you continue to sort of to monitor and and check on growth? Um,
0: or you yes. know what yes.
1: is there? Yeah, so there's a process that follows that as well.
0: Yes, the, yes, yes. Mo- monitoring never stops. Monitoring mm. never truly stops. Mm. Yes, it never stops from the coral nursery up to out planting because you know in the oceans. Um, there are also different conditions and also yeah. even these corals, they entails of different species. So monitoring is important so as you know which species thrives where mostly. Mm-hmm. Because you might take this species and you go to restore in, a, in an area that, and that area just doesn't support its growth. Those things happen. So also that brings to another study of why maybe this area does not support the growth of corals. So it's very important to continue monitoring so as you may be able to spot on the problems and if something is successful, then you can be able to to report successful by how much percent. Those are the Mm. things which um, decision makers love to hear so as you can continue being supported.
1: Okay, Great. And you've, you've spoken a little bit about, you know, the expansion that you've seen since October with adding the number of coral tables and so forth. Um, Mm. and in terms of the actual, um, you know, corals that you've planted, um, how has your success rate been in terms of their growth? Um, and you know, actually promoting and stimulating the growth. Are you seeing that most of them are, are doing well?
0: Yeah, honestly, most of them are doing well. Cause currently we have approximately planted nine hundred and eighty three coral fragments, mm-hmm. and um we do um we do our monitoring, we do our monitoring after every end of the week just yes, to do the coral counting, and to to check on the outlook. How do they look? Cause you will know when a coral is healthy when the colors are. When the colors are colorful, mm-hmm. when, it's, yes. when it's bleaching, you will see that there are some whitish and you know that it's mm-hmm. bleaching. And also, um, because we also stick them with the glue, also you you will see if something has attached very well. So at every end of the week, we do monitoring, we do visual monitoring, and mm-hmm. we compare like how was this how was this before and how is it going on now and i could report that um 90% so far of the corals they are really wow. going very well yeah although some at some point they were showing some sign of bleaching there was a specific mm. species that was showing some signs of 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 bleaching but over time mm. it shows that it was just um the conditions but back, back slowly is getting back to its normal to its normal, mm. to its normal mm to its normal life yeah it's getting back to its normal life but so far so good
1: that's an amazing success rate I mean 90% is incredible
0: yeah
1: yeah can you've spoken a bit about your long-term goals um Mm. do you have any any idea how long that's going to take you to achieve and you know do you have specific aims that you've set yourself for this particular year for 2022
0: yeah, so, you know, Kesha, in starting any new project, there are usually some challenges in between. So mm. there, there have been plans that um, probably at the end of this year we should be able to achieve um, those goals. But um, for now, I, I could say that we're a little bit behind, and that is simply because uh, when it comes to some of the logistics, um, mm. like um, like we can't source the glue Internally, mm-hmm. like it's not found locally, it has to be sourced out from South Africa, and sometimes yes. that can cause some sort of delays. So mm-hmm. this week, um, I will be sitting with the principal scientist, Dr. Tessa, together with our consultant, um, Christian from Giambiani. and we are mm-hmm. going to to make new plans of, um, where okay. how what should be done by when because right now we are, we are getting the momentum there was a lot of work behind the scenes but also there have been delays and that is the learning process um mm, and course. for NEMBA and sometimes getting things in Zanzibar in place it can become also quite a challenge so very soon very soon i think our new plan is going to go public mm,
1: that's yeah. fantastic i really I think it's going to be an incredibly successful project.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Nancy, just to to end off with, you know, you've spoken very eloquently about why you believe that. You know, everybody should care about the health of of the oceans and and of the marine environment. And I know you spend a lot of time speaking to guests about this. And yes. I th- think a lot of people have this perception about okay they understand why they should care but they live so far from the ocean what can they do that will influence that will influence the marine world can you end us mm-hmm. off with just one tip or one piece of advice that you'd like to give to anybody who wants to contribute to making the oceans um, a healthier place and and looking after them
0: Oh sure, so, Kesha. You said one piece of advice, um, but um, I, I would like just to first elaborate before I reach I reach to my point. And this is something yes, which is something which is very close to my uh, to my to my heart. So, um, for me, what I think why everyone needs to care is that first of all, we should all be able to recognize that our ocean is our most precious natural resource. And um, I always emphasize on connectedness, not to feel that because you are living in the mainland, you are not accessible to the ocean, then the Mm -hmm. ocean means nothing to you and vice versa is true. So Mm -hmm. we should know that the land and our ocean are highly connected and what occurs on land majorly affects also what occurs in our ocean. And once our ocean stops providing us services, then all of us are going to suffer all of us are going to suffer regardless of where you live. And for me, I usually have these points in which I think they're very much relatable to any person. Any person can relate and it can it can inject that sort of caring. Let's think of this. Let's think of over 3 billion people who are dependent on our ocean for their livelihoods. But not only that, here in Zanzibar alone, 80% of women, 80% of women when you come here be it in any part of Ganspa, be it east, west, they wake up every day in the morning to go to the farm to provide for their family, and that is through seaweed farming. There is not something known as seaweed farming. You find women, they are highly, highly dependent on that. So let's mm-hmm. think of that group of people. 50% of the oxygen we breathe. I usually tell people, close your eyes and breathe in, breathe out. The breath which you are taking in, it is thank to the ocean, 50% of it comes from there. So that means that mm-hmm. one day it becomes dysfunctional, then we are all doomed. But also to yes. think of the fact that 50%, about 50% of the carbon dioxide is being stored in the ocean. If that 50% could be on air, then our climatical condition could have worsened. So it is also thanks to the ocean, which keeps an incredible amount of carbon dioxide fixed in the sediments or earth. Or else, we could all be doomed, and we could be having worse climatical condition. But also, yes. let's let's know that our oceans totally supports our life and our livelihoods. Not only in marine, with all those points, we should know that there is highly connectedness of the ocean supporting our life. So, for me, an advice w- which I would give. Sometimes I feel there is some sort of an ignorance. So, me, my advice would be that a person should get involved. They should get involved and take small action that contributes in making our ocean sustainable. And how should these people get involved? People should get involved by, first of all, seeking for the right information. There are so many mm-hmm. things which are going on currently with COP26, with the uh, ocean decade of science that wants to involve anyone. The world right now is moving towards sustainable ocean and their outcomes which are there in the outline. And what are the calls, you as an individual, how you can contribute. So I think it's very important to get involved and to seek for the right information and to see how we can get involved. But also, I would advise people to get to know more of the ocean beyond fish. Snorkeling mm-hmm. is not expensive. You only need a pair of masks and, and a pair of fins and mm-hmm. you can go to snorkel and see life beyond fish because we still have a lot of minds, especially in Tanzania, they think that the ocean is all about fish, but the ocean down there is very colorful. We have a lot of diverse, bi- we have a lot of diverse biodiversity that can incredibly um arouse your curiosity and make you want to know more. And as you seek to know more, that's when you you care. That, that's when you you rejuvenate yourself to want to care and want to take action. So let's get to know the ocean beyond fish and beyond recreational spaces and be committed to make a difference. But most importantly... Support the local marine organizations around you. Before me before mm. I came to Ocean Without Borders, I used to work with local marine organizations, which I confounded with my friends. And we arrange we arrange these beach cleanups, marine restorations, we take kids to go and see and admire the, the seagrasses. Join join those small small um small small activities that are aims at at making our oceans a better place and you will be inspired but most importantly let's tap into the right information and get to know our ocean beyond just fish and recreational spaces
1: That's very very good advice Nancy thank you and it's very practical as well
0: Yeah um thank you
1: so much it's you know it's been absolutely fascinating speaking to you and I could sit and and chat to you for for hours longer so <laughs> Thank you very, very much. I really, really hope I get the opportunity to dive with you at NEMBA sometime.
0: Yeah, I wish to.
1: And I'm sure I will at at some stage when you're not so busy, ask you to come and talk to us again. But for now, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you so much, Keisha. Thank you so much for your patience. I'm so sorry I've been running up and down, but I'm so happy that we have done this. So thank you so much for having me.
1: Wonderful. It's been a pleasure, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World a Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about
0: and beyond, please log on to our website at andbeyond.com.